0: Well, good morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to grab one in front of you or the one you have and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me, we'll get there in just a second. Uh, When I was a kid growing up, we always had a holiday in January uh, where we got the day off in order to remember Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, I I think we still do that now, right? Uh, so for the few days before that Monday that we had off, we would be uh, studying about his life and his contributions to the Civil Rights Movement. We, we'd watch the speech that he gave in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, we, we'd read his biography, and, and, and then, of course, we would be talking about why our country needed men like him. Uh, one of his favorite quotes was, Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Now, he, he was contrasting two very different things, right? Uh, darkness, in its simplest definition, is the absence of light. No light whatsoever. So, so when any sort of light is introduced into the situation, there, there's no longer any more darkness. In, in other words, darkness doesn't have uh, the presence of anything. That, that, that's how the Bible starts. It starts in Genesis 1, chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was with, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And so, in, in just a moment, when we continue our journey through Ephesians, we'll, we'll find that Paul is going to use the very same imagery of darkness and light that, that goes all the way back to the beginning of the world, all the way back to the beginning. The, the world we began with a physical separation of light and darkness. And Paul is going to use that same picture to describe the spiritual separation between those who are followers of Jesus and those who aren't. So we're going to read our passage this morning. And I want you to keep that in mind. I'm going to invite Adam Clark, wherever he is. I know I thought he was in here, up to here. And he's going to read our passage for us together. Uh, If you would mind, uh, as he comes up here, standing in preparation uh, for him to read the word together. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Hold on, Adam. Let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you for your Word, and I thank you for kids like Adam that want to uh, be partakers in it and sharing it with us. And so, God, I pray that as we as we study this passage that you have given us, I, I pray, God, that we will be able to see the differentiation between light and darkness. Then in our own lives, and the world around us, and I pray, God, that this will ring true uh, for all of us this morning. So thank you for your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Adam. So in this passage that Adam just read, Paul Paul describes three principles that will help us to use the, the light that is in us to beat the darkness that is around us. Each one of these principles con- contains two aspects, something that we must do and, and something that we must avoid. The, the first point that Paul makes is that we need to be in the world, but not of the world. He tells us in verse 7 therefore, do not become partners with them. As always, we, when we see the word therefore, we need to understand what it's there for. In this case, Paul is very clearly looking back to the immediately preceding verses where he describes the consequences of, of living a lifestyle that is characterized by immorality, by impurity, by, by covetousness. And Paul warns his readers, just like the, God is warning us through this text, that they are not to be partners with those who engage in such a lifestyle. Now the word translated partners is the same in this verse is only used one other place in the entire New Testament. Now, not surprisingly, it's also used by Paul in this same book. In chapter 3, verse 6, Paul writes this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So partakers in verse chapter 3 and partners in chapter 5 are the same word. The word literally means joint participants. So Paul's main point here seems to be that followers of Jesus Christ, those that call themselves Christians, those who have surrendered their life to him, are not to participate in the same immorality, the same impurity, the same covetousness that characterize the darkness of our culture. Now, I don't think any one of us that proclaim faith in Jesus that would disagree with that premise. But just how far are we to carry that? There are many believers that carry this principle to such an extreme that they isolate themselves completely from unbelievers. They they only work with other Christians. All of their friends and acquaintances are Christians. And often they, they, they try to isolate their kids from the world by either homeschooling them or sending them to Christian schools. Now, side note real quick. I homeschooled, I, Sina, homeschooled our children for for a long time. I'm not knocking homeschooling. There's lots of reasons to homeschool. There's lots of reasons to send uh, your kids to a Christian school. I'm not proposing that we do that. But I'm saying there should be a red flag when the only reason we do that is to isolate them from the culture around them. But that seems to fly in the face of the principle of being in the world, but not of the world. Just as Jesus eloquently expressed in his prayer in John 17. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul also makes it clear that he is not advocating for isolism here in Ephesians. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul basically says that if you want to associate only with fellow believers, if you don't want to associate with non-Christians, then you would have to leave the world. As we'll see even more clearly here in just a few minutes, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, God God leaves us here on this earth for the very purpose of being the light in the midst of darkness. And that's impossible if we have no contact, if we have no interaction with unbelievers. So, So Paul is not encouraging his readers to withdraw and isolate themselves from the people in the culture around them. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3 that we need to always be ready to give a response to anyone who asks for the reason that you have hope. Peter's obviously writing here about how how believers are to interact with non-believers. We we are to treat them with respect. We we are to love them and be prepared to share the gospel message with them. Peter's implying here that, that others will ask us, about our faith because they'll be around us enough to be influenced by our light shining in the midst of their darkness. But we also need to be careful not to carry those things to the other extreme and become just like the darkness. Paul confirms that principle very clearly when he says in 2 Corinthians 6 where he tells us not to be yoked together with unbelievers. So, we, we are to interact with non-believers. We're to do life with non-believers, but not to be conformed to unbelievers. There should be a stark difference between the way you live your life as a follower of Jesus and the friends that you have that aren't. There, there should be a very significant difference. For a lot of my life growing up, that wasn't the case. I, I'd be at church on a Sunday morning talking about the Lord and, and what I thought he was doing in my life. And then I would go to school on Mondays without giving him any thought and, and acting just like the rest of my idiot friends. So, of, of, of course, I, I never felt comfortable inviting them to church because they wouldn't have seen the benefit of it. Why, why would I go to church? You. It's made no impact in your life. It would be like you coming up to me and asking for tips on how to do your hair. You probably wouldn't take me seriously if I walked up to you afterward and said, you know what, I really feel like you should style your hair this way, use this product. You wouldn't take me seriously. Now, if you wanted to know how to get the smooth, silky softness of a bald head, at the same time avoiding how to, uh, you know, not making your wife mad when there's hair all over the place, then I can, I'm can. i your guy. I've been there. I've learned through experience. I know how to do those things. But, but we are to interact with non-believers, but we can't conform to their behavior and join them. The, the key is to find balance. We, we need to respect them and, and not isolate from the world, but refuse to resemble the world. A, a little bit of light can eliminate the darkness. Make, make sure your light is on at all times so that when someone asks you where your hope comes from, where that light comes from, you have an answer. The next point Paul makes is to remember history so that you don't repeat it. He says in verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Now, this is not the first time where Paul has reminded his readers of what they were before they were Christ followers. For instance, back in chapter 2, he reminded them of how they were once dead in their transgressions and sins before the work of God in their lives. And here, Paul reminds them that they were once in darkness. You, that, that, that's how you once lived. You were once in darkness, but as Jesus says in John chapter 8, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Cena when and I were engaged to be married, she would, we, were, we were separated uh, uh, geographically, and so she would come visit me occasionally, and she would be around people that I grew up with, that knew me when I was a, from, from when I was a kid. They, they would tell her pretty often, I can't believe you're with him. You you, you seem so nice. Why would you want to be with Daniel? How did he trick you into being with him? Right? Like she would hear it all the time where it kind of began to make her upset. What what they didn't understand is the person that I was growing up was not the same person that was about to be married. The the Lord had done a work in my life while while I was away at college. He changed my heart. He changed my worldview. He, he changed the things that I valued. I think about those times growing up a lot. I, I want to remember who I was, and I want to remember what I thought was important before I really came to know the Lord. Now, now some of that's just maturity, right? Some of that's just growing up. But, but a lot of what was in my heart had now changed. Did you ever watch The Biggest Loser on TV? You ever watch that grow, You know years ago we used to watch that show pretty often in my house when it came out uh, but we'd be watching these people work out really really hard right they'd be on a really strict diet while I was sitting on my couch dunking Oreos into my milk like you see the uh, I- irony in that it, it was a pretty in- inspiring show you would see these people lose 100 200 pounds over a course of months meanwhile I probably gained 10 pounds while watching the show sitting on the couch eating Oreos right the, the story for a lot of those people, though, is, is that once they got home, they put the weight back on. They, they, they would get back into the routine of, of, of not exercising as much. They, they didn't have a personal trainer yelling at them and, and motivating them. Uh, and, and slowly, the weight would get put back on. They, they forgot about the work they had done. They forgot about how miserable their life was before they went back on the show. They were repeating history. When we choose to follow Jesus Christ, he is continually present in our lives. And because we have him, we become light. I'm not merely enlightened. I am light because the light of the world lives in me. Now, although Paul is certainly not someone who dwelled in the past. His letter indicates that there is great value of, on us recalling what we were before Jesus Christ came and changed our life. If nothing else, it makes us appreciate the fact that God did something in us that we could never do for ourselves by transforming us from darkness to light. At the same time, Paul warns us against reverting back to that darkness. Since we are now light... Since we now have the light in us, we are to live our lives in a manner that is consistent with the light. And when we do that, our lives will bear fruit that is consistent with the light. If we are truly children of light, if we are truly children of the Lord, it's going to be characterized by goodness, righteousness, and truth. Jesus addresses this idea in Matthew 7. He says, "...you will recognize them by their fruits." will be revealed by the fruit that we produce. Our character will be revealed by the fruit that we produce. If we are darkness, we will produce fruit that is consistent with the absence of God in our lives. If we are light, our lives will reflect and and produce goodness. It will produce righteousness. It will produce truth. But we have to live in the light. I, I, I like to sleep in a dark room. I, I don't like any lights. I, I mean, I used, to, I used to cover up my alarm clock, you know, that stupid red light that would, many of y'all don't know what that is, because now we have phones. But I used to cover up the light. That's one of the main reasons when we were uh, finishing our basement, I wanted our bedroom in the basement because it was darkness. We, we've invested money in every house we've ever lived in for room darkening shades. I like, I like sleeping in the darkness. But have you ever struggled with depression? There have been times in my life where I've had that battle. And here's how it goes for me. Maybe you can relate. When I begin to feel like life is overwhelming, I tend to want to go home and isolate in my bedroom. I can turn on the TV and be numb for hours at a time. I ignore my phone. I ignore any offer for help. And I just stay where I am and mope. Just, just me alone with my thoughts telling everyone else that I'm just fine. When in reality, the, the best way for me to snap out of it is to be around people. To talk about the issues that I'm struggling with. To get outside and be in the light of the sun. And get out of the darkness. I, I think that's the best way to fight off sin. Bring it into the light where the darkness loses its power. Don't, don't just say you were struggling. Say what you were struggling with. Don't say you messed up. Say what you did. Give it some exposure. There, there's a big difference between I got a speeding ticket and I cheated on my wife. Both of those are mess ups. There, there's a big difference between I overate at dinner And I viewed pornography for an hour. Those are both struggles. Bring it into the light. Now, here in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond and bring some things into the light. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and and, and say it out loud. But I'm going to ask you to write it down. Put your name on it. I'm asking you to own it and bring it to the light. It's going to remain confidential. But I think it's important that we begin to stay, take steps to make things right by exposing them to the light. Don't don't just say I've been tempted. Say what you've been tempted by. Don't just say you had a moral failure. Say what your moral failure was. Don't let it have any more power. Bring it to the light. Finally, Paul's third point is to let your light shine. Let your light shine. When you let your light shine, it pleases the Lord. Verse 10 is difficult to translate. The the literal translation should be putting to the test and then approving what is well-pleasing to the Lord. Paul uses that this very same phrase in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The idea in both passages is that when we live our lives in a way that is consistent with God's plan, that, that, that we put to the test and, and prove His ways do, in fact, produce the results that He promises The the idea here is that we live our lives in a manner that is consistent with the light of Jesus that is in our lives. It it will cause other people to to look at our lives, to to watch us, and give glory to God. Our our purpose in, in living as children of light is not to bring attention to ourselves, but rather... To give praise to the one who transformed us from darkness to light. That's why we are still on this earth. In other words, when we produce the fruit of light, we actually reveal God living in our life. We actually reveal what he has done in our life. Beginning in the middle... Uh, part of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Paul spent a lot of time writing to Christ followers, writing to you and to me, and challenging them to take off their old way of life and and, uh, put on their new life that is consistent with who they are in Jesus. This is what he's been going over. But, But I'm struck by the fact that not even one time Does Paul instruct his readers to try and impose the same way of life on those who are non-believers? He never encourages them to go into the world and condemn those that are still living in darkness and who live their lives in a way that produces fruit that corresponds to darkness. In fact, although I can't completely rule out the possibility... That that it's there somewhere. I couldn't find one instance in the New Testament where unbelievers are either commanded or expected to live their lives in a way that is consistent with being a child of light. And though there are plenty of warnings and consequences of an immoral lifestyle, I, I cannot place where unbelievers are condemned and criticized in their lifestyle about the only place where I see people being condemned in their, for their lifestyle is the way Jesus confronts the religious leaders of his day. And even there, it seems that Jesus was so hard on them, primarily because of, of how they were leading others astray. That, that is consistent with how the New Testament writers confront very directly and forcefully sin within the body. But when Jesus dealt with people in the darkness, like the woman caught in adultery, like the woman at the well, he didn't condone their sin, but he didn't condemn them personally either. Since darkness is the absence of light, the way that we overcome the darkness is not by cursing the darkness. We, we can't get rid of darkness by condemning it because there's nothing there in the first place. It's void. There's nothing there. The only way to overcome darkness is by allowing the light of Jesus that is in us to shine in the midst of that darkness. That's you and me. How are you shining your light in the darkness? See, as Christians, we like to, we like to boycott things. We like to take a stand for things, and we like to tell people that aren't believers you're, you're going straight to hell when in reality we should be shining the light to them so that they can see the goodness that is the Lord so, so here's what I'd like to do take, take, take you know I don't know how y'all do sermon notes if you even do them but tear off a piece Write your sin down. Sign your name to it. It's going to be confidential. And here's what I want to do. I am going to invite the worship team to come back. As, as we sing, and as we respond, and as you bring these things to light, and as you own it, I'm going to invite you to come put it in this basket. I'm going to have it right here on the altar. And as you put it in the basket, before you put it in the basket, I want you to just rip it in half and throw it in there a- a- as a symbol of what the Lord has done for you in overcoming sin. I'm also going to ask our elders to be up front here at the front. so so that we can pray for you, so that we can minister to you. Now, our church, historically, is not real good at responding, right? We don't like to publicly respond. That's okay. But here's how I'm going to challenge you. We're, We're not going to get better at responding to the Lord and what he's stirring in our hearts if we don't start practicing it. And so maybe just one person comes up and confesses these things to the Lord and lays them at the altar and rips them up and and declares victory over that. Maybe just one. But in my mind, that's still a victory. But, But maybe there's five of you. Maybe there's 10 of you. Maybe there's 300 of us that come forward this morning and confess these things before the Lord. And we're here for an hour and a half extra. I think that's a victory too. And so here's my challenge to you. As, as the elders come, I don't know who is on here. I think there's two here. I'll be here. We, we want to make ourselves available to you. And, and we're going to pray over you that you find victory over sin today. That you bring things to the light as it's exposed. And so I'm going to have this basket right here. And I'm going to pray for us. And as you feel led, will you start to bring some things into the light? because I think it'll change your life. I think it'll put you on the right path. I think that it will empower you to fight off the temptation and sin that's in your life. So I'm gonna pray for us and I'm just gonna ask God to move in your heart. I'm gonna ask some of you that have never responded to the Lord in a physical way by standing up out of your chair and walking forward. I'm gonna ask that the Lord put a heavy burden on you as you lead today find victory today. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now that your spirit will be thick in this place. God, I pray you take away any pride that's in this place. Humble us. God, I pray that you bless us as we try to bring things into the light. Sometimes we have to drag it. So God, I pray for a lot of dragging today. is better, with you there's victory, so God I pray that you will allow us to minister on your behalf today, God we love you, and we thank you for Jesus, we thank you that because of him we have the power to overcome sin, and I pray that that would be a reality in this place this morning.